When I first came into this um, church world place in the mid-1980s, filled then with all you Jesus freaks and random God-botherers, walk shorts and socks and sandals in all directions, everyone had what was called a testimony. It was their story of faith. And I loved hearing them then, and I still do. And typically, if you had um, converted as an adult, your testimony was a collection of the very silliest things that you had done in your life. And the final line was, and then I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And at that point, you were regarded as saved. The punishment or the debt or however you want to put it, created by your sin, was dealt with by the Lord and that was that, sorted. Well, there's a clarity and simplicity about that, but my problem is it reduces salvation down to this single transaction in a moment of time. When I've reflected on it, I think my salvation did not cease the moment I finally confessed my sinfulness and my need for God. Actually, that's when it started. And it's still going on. I am and continue to be a work in progress. Don't get too close. You might get hurt. There's a progressive quality, an ongoing, present, continuous thing going on in my life. Now, sometimes this process is referred to in the Bible as being sanctified. And sanctified means being set aside for the purposes of God, made holy. And anyone, I think, who's walked the Christian life for a decade or two will tell you it's a process of refinement. God, by God's Spirit, peels off layer and layer of the onion. So really, after 10 or 20 years, you find yourself quite a different person. It's like we're the Energizer Bunny. We just keep going and going. We're being refined minute by minute, decade by decade. I've told the story before, but it bears repeating of the elderly woman who pulled aside my friend who was a visiting preacher at her church one day after the sermon, and she said to him, young man, would you hear my confession? Her sin? Well, his mind boggled. She was 90 if she was a day. Well, she tearfully confessed to him that she had not long lost her husband of over 60 years and was missing him terribly. She was sorry and wanted to confess that her grief was distracting her from the call of God on her life. He went to sort of wave it away, to sort of say, don't, don't worry, it's nothing. But then he had a realisation. This was the confession of a great saint. She had walked with God so long that her sensitive sensitivity to sin was far greater than his. She was still being refined, even at her great place of spiritual maturity. There's a passage from Romans 5, 
that doesn't mention the word saved or sanctified, but it's on point, and I want to read it to you now. It's Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. As I've sat with this passage this week, it occurs to me it's a daisy chain. Do you still make these at school, daisy chains? No, okay. Oh, do? Yeah, okay, yeah, all right, all right, okay. A lot's changed since my day. I really grieve the passing of Bullrush. I think it was a wonderful thing. When I was coaching 14-year-old young men in rugby, they hadn't had the privilege of playing Bullrush, and they all went tackling too high and would get hurt. Whereas you play Bullrush, you'd around here. Anyway, I digress. The launching pad for this verse, the first link in the chain, is since we are justified by faith. It's the solid rock that we stand on and spring from. It's five-mile-deep bedrock without a fault line in sight. Our sins have been forgiven, and we who have started this journey with Jesus are now in right relationship with God. Now, in my younger days, altar calls were all the rage. So we were urged to come up to the front and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Many did and went home and continued as before. They responded to the feelings of the moment, the, the rush. But the seed that was faithfully sown into their lives did not take root and did not grow. My fear about those meetings is maybe they vaccinated people against the faith just enough to deter them. I remember talking to one young guy in university who said, oh yeah, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work. This passage here is talking about real commitment that goes bone deep, not just a flesh wound or a graze. Deep commitments sometimes happen instantly. That was my experience. But for most of us, they grow over time. Especially if you were raised in a Christian home. You might not be able to point to a single moment when the lights went on for you, but they're still on. You got there. And there's a daisy chain here. Peace leads to grace, which leads to hope. The sufferings of life lead to endurance, which in turn leads to character and produces hope as well. I want to walk through that path today with you because that is the path that we are called to walk on, to follow. Now, faith is a noun, naming word. It stands for a, a place that we occupy. We have faith. We are in the faith. But I, I want to say Faith is best understood as a verb, as something we do. It's moving. It's progressing. The life of faith is a journey towards a destination. 
to which none of us yet have arrived. My repentance and first act of faith at age 18 was step one on that journey, and a pretty faltering step at that. I didn't want to be a Christian. Hanging out with you guys? No offence. At that stage of my life, I thought Christians were the saddest fools on the planet. No offence. Like C.S. Lewis, I was a most reluctant convert, and when I read that line of his, I thought, this guy I like. This guy I can relate to. The people around me were full of the joy of the Lord, and everything was wonderful. But so many of them are not walking with God anymore. Really good Christian friends just kind of lost their way, and I, I grieve for them. Do you have people in your life, in your experience like that? For me, it was a slog more than a dance. But hey, by God's grace, I got here. Well, the next step on the road was peace with God. And I have to say, I didn't feel particularly peaceful at the time, grappling with this new subculture, you know, and what the Spirit was doing in my life. Well, that was pretty darned uncomfortable. It is no fun, I found, putting things right with the people that you've wronged. Confession to flesh and blood people is humbling. It's embarrassing. But it changed me in good ways. I had a drinking problem to address. I was failing university and had no idea what I was going to do with my life. No feeling of peace. My mother treated me as if I joined the Moonies and all of her friends would comfort her that this was probably a phase that would soon pass. Sorry, Mum. But it's peace with God that's been talked about here. It's not some sort of zen feeling of, mmm, I'm feeling good. And it's not just the absence of conflict, that's often what we call talk peace as well. We have peace with God because we are within the shalom of God, within the blessing and favour of God. The writer of Hebrews described it as being within God's rest, being released. Does that picture it? Sheltered in the arms of Jesus. Being released from the need to somehow save ourselves through our own good works or deeds. Resting in God. Now peace with God flows from our standing as being justified in the sight, able to stand in his presence through the saving work of Jesus on the cross. We are at peace with God even if we don't feel like it. If all around us it feels anxious, anxiety and depression and whatever. My 20s was a journey, a long journey, in accepting that God truly did love me, that he wasn't going to ditch me because I kept sinning, that there would be grace for me even though I was not good enough and I never would be. Paul wrote, through whom we have gained access to this grace in which we stand. My impression back then, I think, was that I might have been initially saved by grace, but from that point on, there were all these rules to follow, all these things I was supposed to do. But I've discovered that we are saved by grace all our lives. 
It's constantly being poured out into us. Determined self-effort will get us nowhere because whatever is not of faith does not please God. He is the potter. We are the clay. Clay's job is to go along with the potter rather than trying to mould itself. I see grace in the little nooks of my life. Frequently I look at my diary and I think, you turkey. My inner voice, critical voice often calls me a turkey. You've overbooked yourself again. My anxiety starts to rise because I know I'm not going to be able to get everything done that week that I've committed myself to and I don't like letting people down. Then, as if miraculously, somebody will ring to cancel or postpone or circumstances change such that the deadline gets extended and suddenly, ah, life opens up. In that moment, I experience the grace and love of God who knows my limits and needs better than I do and is looking after me. As the song says, grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. At other times, I'm having a pastoral chat with someone and they're sharing something that's really difficult for them. Now, instead of saying something really dumb or klutzy, something really helpful and thoughtful pops out of my mouth. The conversation goes really well. And afterwards I'm left thinking, where did that come from? That was quite good. I'll use that again. The grace of God continually flows into my life. And I'm tremendously grateful for it. As the song says, grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Hope is huge. That was the biggest font I could manage. Hope says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Our faith has a destination as we are sucked deeper and deeper into the whirlpool that is the glory of God. Hope says that no matter how hard the present may be or may feel, God is working out his purposes in our lives and in the world around us. Hope just keeps pointing us forward, knowing that the best is not only yet to come, but has really only just begun. And then Paul says this extraordinary thing. I boast in my sufferings. It's a strange, strange thing to say. Imagine it. I'm sick. I'm about to lose my job. And the missus is flicking through Tinder. Hooray. Before I try to unpack this a bit more, I think it's worth taking note that it's apparent here that actually suffering is par for the course in the Christian life. In Acts 14.22, Paul and Barnabas preached this to their new disciples. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We are not exempt. We will not all be healthy, wealthy and happy. God can bless us through and in the trials as he has always done. Well, I was taught early on that God had a wonderful plan for my life. And for me, I think even that's a bit sweeping. 
His promise is actually a bit narrower than that. It's that I won't leave you or forsake you if you put your trust in me. But the unstated thing is, but life might get pretty hairy. Many of you who have been around for a bit will know the story of Corey Ten Boom. Anyone heard of her? Yep. Dutch Christian. And her family hid Jews during the war. Well, she and her sister Betsy and their dad saved many Jewish people from the gas chambers before they were betrayed. Her father died in prison, and she and Betsy were sent to a place called Ravensbrook Concentration Camp, which was a revolting place. And her sister said this, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Profound thought, I think. She died there. For me, Betsy and Corey's dad, they both lived wonderful lives because they are inspiring. But this might not be everybody's idea of wonderful. Corey was released from Ravensbrook. She found out after the war because of a clerical error. She was actually supposed to be on the next train trip to a gas chamber. Imagine that, finding that out. I think that God by his grace saved her because there were still purposes that he wanted to achieve in her life and through her life. Hers was a life of great suffering and pain, yet wonderful in its own way. If you haven't heard the story, there's a great movie called The Hiding Place on YouTube that you can watch it. Your idea of wonderful? It's meaningful. It's significant. But by golly, it's not easy. Anyway, according to Paul, suffering is great. You'll be pleased to know. Because it produces endurance. And endurance character and character hope. Now, C.S. Lewis, I mentioned earlier. Um, who's read the screw tape that is? Just a fantastic book. And in it, one of the things he talks about is the law of undulation. And some of us, and, and the idea there is that life is actually more like this than like this. It's seasonal. So someone comes to faith full of the joy of the Lord and everything is wonderful and it's great and it's superb and the unstated assumption is, oh, this is what the Christian life is going to be like. It's always going to be like this. Then the curve drops because of life circumstances or there's hard stuff to wrestle with or there's tricky things to navigate and now everything feels awful and it's always going to be like this. Maybe this Christian thing doesn't work or doesn't work for me. However, if you've ridden through enough of those peaks and troughs, you come to realise that the good growing times are to be enjoyed, but they're not eternal. And at the same time, tough times pass. God is faithful in season and out of season. And the thing I have noticed is that in those troughy times when I'm in the valley and it's dark and it's slippery. He's doing a lot of work in my life often, more work than he is at the mountaintops admiring the view. Endurance is the state of just persevering despite how you might feel, knowing that God is still in his heavens, your sins are still forgiven, and he's still pouring grace into your life, whether or not you feel it. Paul tells us if we persevere, if we endure, 
We will grow character. In short, we will be made into better people. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control will be more evident. I had a mate at university who'd come along to our Christian meetings often and he'd say something like this, you know, guys, I have come to realise I am not very patient. I've decided to work on this. I'm going to become more patient. At this point, we would fall about laughing and say something like, John is back to personality surgery again. Quite accidentally, I think we were right. Jesus asks us not to be more patient. He asks us to endure to hang on, hang in. And he'll take the lead in our ongoing salvation, sanctification. There'll be things we need to do a change, but the initiative is his, as we are his work in progress. Potter clay, remember? To stay connected to him, enter his people, and hang on for the ride. And we've got to the end of the daisy chain. Character produces hope, that word again. I think hope is huge, as I said before. We look forward to our own ultimate salvation, but not only ours, but of the whole planet. I was talking about Romans 8 the other week. It says the whole creation groans under the weight of sin, waiting for the children of God, us, to be revealed and for it to be brought into our glorious freedom. It's an amazing chapter, an amazing idea. Our hope, what we look forward to, is in God's ultimate salvation. The reason that hope grows over time is we've experienced more occasions that he's come through for us. And we can see the fruit of character growth in our lives. As they say, the best indicator of, past, of future behaviour is past behaviour. The longer that you've endured and you've seen God come through for you, the more that you can look to the future with confidence to know that, yes, he will ultimately come through for you, that you will ultimately be saved. But we are a community. We're not just individual energizer bunnies. Our hope can be encouraged by hearing each other's stories as well. The curse of our age, as Demi Moore put it rather well, is that we judge our insides against other people's outsides and feel inadequate because we're not as cool or together as them. But if you come to a Christian community and you hear Brian is struggling with how to be a father to his adult children or that I am on antidepressants because I find it hard to manage my mood or Jill here used to self-harm, it's encouraging because you think, well, if they can endure... So can I, putting one foot after the other after the other in that long Christian trek. You aren't some sort of freak because at one time in your life you tried to kill yourself or you had an affair or you're wracked with anxiety or whatever. And I've got to say to you, if you're a guy at this church and you missed the men's retreat, you missed something rather special where eight men shared their stories and their struggles. Those chances are gold. Don't pass them up. 
Do you share your real needs in your home group? What's really going on for you? If you don't, take the risk and see what happens. Are you in any sort of small group where people share their lives? Newsflash, we all need this. This whole passage, Romans, was written to a group of people, many of whom had been members of the Jewish faith. And for them, salvation was something over here that's going to happen in the far distant future on the day of the Lord. And they had no assurance where they stood. Nobody did. Who knew? But Paul here is saying that you can trust he who began a good work in you, that they will be faithful to complete it. If you've trusted in Jesus, are justified before God and walking together with him and his people, you have nothing to fear from judgment. Our salvation is built on the promise of a faithful God, not on what we do or what we intend. And good God in heaven, thank heavens for that. To be a Christian is to not to boast in my own goodness, it is to boast in the faithfulness of the God who loves me and cares for me. Amen. Could the musicians please come up? We've got one more song.